Pulls up. Alamon rejects it. Big time block, Julie Alamon. Elderbrink goes behind her back. Puts it up. Big time shot. She nailed it. Kete. Behind the back to Burani. What a pass. You are listening to the Women's Basketball Worldwide Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Women's Worldwide Basketball Podcast. Every time I say this, Paul, I say a different name, and I feel like every time I say it, you're, you're ready to strangle me through the screen because I get the name wrong. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> Women's Basketball Worldwide Podcast. Carlin Gay alongside Paul Nielsen and Natalia Melendez. And uh, we won't waste any time because we have a special guest with us on this edition. No one wants to hear from us. Everyone wants to actually hear from our guests. And she is Emma Musiman. And if I sat here and named all of the MVPs that she's accomplished in her life, we would be here for the next half an hour. So, uh, Emma, welcome to the show. And thank you for thank making you. time for Glad me. Glad to be here. Um, I look forward to talk about basketball. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, we uh, we this is the basketball show that we uh obviously love talking about basketball about. And uh, before we actually get into to your playing career and and some stuff that you've done, um, the the basketball has stopped, but we got a chance to watch basketball or relive basketball that's already happened through the last dance. Um, you know the the, the ten part Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary that uh, was on for for five weeks and kind of saved us from the basketball desert that we were all in. Um. What, what were your thoughts on it, and, and, and how did you watch it? Where did you watch it? Who did you watch it with? Um, I actually watched it with my family, uh, and it, I don't think I've ever watched something about basketball together with them because um, I'm never here. Um, so we actually still have to finish the last two episodes, so don't say what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. You know, it's, it's basketball, all the game that we know, but it's, totally different you know it's a world around it too and I think it's really interesting for people to see how professional athletes like how they live too you know how the character is that's really interesting can't forget Emma was born in 1993 your birthday was two weeks right. ago happy birthday yeah yeah thank you <laughs> thank you yeah big happy birthday there that's a, that's a, is that another tourist on the on the I mean we only invite tourists on this or or we're missing tourists right you're just outside tourists What's your, what's your sign? I'm a Taurus, yeah. You're a Taurus. I think everybody on the podcast has been a Taurus so far. But Paul. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's always the rebel, isn't he? Yeah, rebel. Just talking about, just talking about um, the last dance. I mean, we'll not, we'll not do any spoilers. When you're watching it with family, I mean, I know your mom played, played basketball, but um, how, do they, how does their perspective on like, who are the favorites are, what kind of comments that they're making? Does that square in your mind, or are you kind of looking across at them thinking, Mm-mm, you know, that's not the half of it? How does that kind of dynamic work? I guess it's like a detective watching a crime show. Well, actually, um, the only comments that come from her is about, you know, the players that she sees playing in, in like images from the game, um, all images from the old games that they play, because her favorite players were um, Larry Bird and. Uh, well, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he didn't play, but she knows more players than I do when she watches The Last Dance because um, she really, like, remembers that time. Um, 
so she can explain me some stuff. Not really, because, you know, Belgium is far from America and they didn't show any games, but whenever she saw in the beginning an uh, image from Larry Bird or something like that, she was like really happy and explained to me what she learned from him. Like, um, and a lot of people like say that I can learn from him or they tell her. Um, so that's the only comment. But apart from that, it's not pure basketball. So she can't really tell me about uh, how to behave in a team or how to behave in hotels because she has not done that part. She stayed in Belgium. She stayed with the national team. But apart from that, I think I have more experience than her and I'm closer to the life that they show in that um, in the last dance. Was there something that stuck out from, from the last dance, being able to see kind of behind the scenes? Because um, right. w- what stuck out the most when you were kind of watching behind the scenes clips of, in the last dance? Um, for me, the most special part is um, not necessarily like um, all the fans and stuff, but how he was with his team. Um, you never really know how somebody is in a team. Uh, you can, he can be the big, biggest star or she and still like be selfish and okay, he had to be selfish a little bit to get to the top, but at the same time, he learned how to make his team better. And I think for me, that's the biggest part that I'll take away from it, that you really need a team. Uh, that's something I've always known, but it's um, confirmed. You know, he had to make his team better and take them with him in order to win those titles. You are a four. What do you think about Dennis Rodman? <laughs> he's special. Apart from, I, I won't talk about off-court, but I think on-court, he's a great player. Um, he was. Once I had to talk about uh, competitive greatness uh, in the Washington Mystics, and I think he is uh, one of those examples. He's just gonna do anything on the court um, just to get the ball, you know, and every single time again. He's not gonna, like what I saw, because I've never seen him play, but what I saw in the, in the last dance is that if he sees somebody and he will take that challenge, you know, to stop him defensively and do the dirty work and I think that you need those people in the team because yes Stalin is not going to win it on his own but if you have somebody, somebody like him and do the dirty work and just he's he loves it like it makes it a lot easier for you especially for Michael Jordan since he was so um how do you say it? like everybody was looking at him the whole time and defense was trying to stop him and you could save him some energy, I think, uh, by having Dennis Rotman doing all that work next to him. I have to say that um, my wife just found Dennis Rodman hilarious. I mean, she's kind of a basketball fan, but she just lived for watching it. For She was kind of saying it doesn't matter what job you do, but you could just go to Vegas for like a few days. Most of the time, most of the time, we have uh, Dennis Rodman in our team like there's always most of the time there's always a Dennis Rodman team right <laughs> yes <laughs> maybe not on the court but off court definitely like characters yeah. like that but you need that you know for the chemistry I think those people make teams the team together and light and not too much pressure on them just that, talking about the off the court thing Emma at what point in your career did, did the kind of did regular people kind of start recognizing you I remember after the finals, you said, I think it was the crew on the aeroplane when you and Kim went home. And how does that change your mentality, if at all? Um, 
I don't think it changed my, I think my mental mentality never changed over the years. I just hope I am still the same person, you know, in every single way. I got more confidence. That's the only thing. But um, apart from that, I don't know. That's a hard question. <laughs> I have to think about that. The reason that I wanted to ask is obviously when you watch the last dance, you realize those players are like at the very top of that game. And obviously, having won the WNBA title, having won EuroLeague women, it's like, I know that you're, or a lot of people say, who know you better than I do, that you, you're quite reserved, quite shy. But it was just to say, it's good to hear that you get more confidence. But I just wonder if it was you at that point where you begin to kind of, you know, does that confidence grow into something else as a person? Um, I don't know. I just want to win more. Uh, I was already looking like as soon as um, I won the title with the message I was I had to pack already and just leave to uh, that I had some time at home but I was already ready like to play the next season because um, we were trying to make, make uh, history with Ika and try to win as many uh, EuroLeague titles as, as possible so it's not because I want it already that I'm going to finish, you know. Um, I just, I think repeating something is harder than doing it for the first time because uh, you have a lot more pressure and stuff. So that's where the confidence comes in handy, you know, because otherwise, um, if, I would, if I would still be 19 years old, I would not be able to handle the pressure uh, of repeating something um, or doing something for the first time, like the Mystics title, the WNBA title. Um, but apart from that, I still have the same mindset. I just want to win everything I start. Um, I don't think that that's ever going to change. So I just want to repeat as many stuff as possible, win as many as possible, you know, and have as um, good as possible memories too. You know, I think that's the most important thing about If I were to ask you where you feel more pressure, in the WA, WNBA final or in the last tournament that we were all in Belgium? Are they, you felt the same pressure or you feel more pressure when you put your national team shirt on? Um, I think um, I'm never really like stressed before games. Because um, after us, just, it's not just a game, but it's basketball. You know, I know how to play basketball and I know what I can do, what my team can do. So there's not that much pressure, but I have to say that the WNBA finals were the first time ever in my career I was really nervous. Wow. And, you know, even uh, I could feel it during the night. Um, like, I couldn't sleep sometimes. And I always had that permanent feeling in my stomach, you know, like butterflies. And you were just keeping, um, you kept thinking about the game. And I didn't have that when uh, I was trying to, uh, having the tournament in Ostend in Belgium. Because, um, I think um, that we expected to win, like to to go. Like if if we did everything right, there was nothing that should have stopped us um, from going. So um, of course, after the first game that we lost, I was disappointed, and you think that what if, what if, uh, if we don't make it? But if we knew that we should make it, we did make it, and I think there was more confidence about that. Watching you in, uh, in Ostend um, kind of 
being the the go-to player on the team um and and kind of kind of having to 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 shoulder the load of doing things offensively and 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 different things throughout the entire tournament it felt like and Italia and I and, and Paul might agree uh that it felt like you knew when to put it on and you knew when you could take a step back and allow some other guy other other girls get involved into the play and you knew when all right we needed a bucket I'm going to put the ball in the deck and I'm going to go and, and get my own shot. Is that something that kind of developed over time or is that a combination at the, t- at the tournament itself where you kind of decided like, this is what I have to be for this team to get through to the next level? That's really uh, something I had to learn throughout the years because um, I'm always a team player and a team player and I need a team around me uh, in order to play good. Um, but like coaches had to tell me like, you know, sometimes the team needs you to step it up and just to take the ball and go. Uh, but that's something that I just did not have in me because I don't want, I don't want to be the one that says, give the ball to me, you know. Um, and now I'm going to do it. Everybody step aside. Cause I hate that kind of basketball, actually. Uh, I just want to, you know, like pass the ball around and give and go and just pick and roll and all that stuff together. Um, but I had to realize, and that's something um, that changed in America this season, the past season, mm-hmm. um, that it's okay to do that sometimes, you know, if you have the confidence from your teammate and um, from the coaches and the staff, like, if they know, okay, then I should probably just do it, you know, and it's easier, of course, when the ball goes in and you get the confidence for, for the next basket, and uh, I think it's really something that I can see if I think about it now that I can see where I come from, I would never have done that, um, say, when I was 22 or something. I would never have been able to just take over sometimes in games like I did in Ostendor uh, in America. Never. That's the part where the confidence like, comes in really good. Is that, is that hard? Because, I mean, you said, like, your personality is not such that you're like, all right, spotlight on Emma. So was that one of the most difficult things that you probably had to learn basketball wise or, and, and what was the moment? When was the, the, the defining moment that, you know, mm-hmm. you realize that this is w- what I, what I am now. I am someone that you know, people are counting on for uh, this type of performance. Um, but I still don't see like spotlight on me. Um, Cause I think, um, if it, would, if it would be like that the whole time, it's pretty easy. You just give the ball some, to somebody else who is open and they score. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just know it's just reading the game. You know, it's pretty easy and um, you know where or when you can, you, you can go. Um, and I don't know one exact moment when it did change. I just know that... Um, throughout my whole career, like all the coaches I had, like talked to me about it and they kept pushing me and kept push, pushing me. And I think that's the thing, you know, everybody kept believing in me. And I did too, and just not as much as them, <laughs> you know, just to, cause I don't wanna, how to say, I think I was afraid that people think I'm selfish, you know, right. um, where other people, think that okay you help us but I would think that oh she's doing everything um she's keeping the ball for herself because I really don't like basketball if I see a game and somebody does that um 
okay, taking over, like saving the game and stuff like that. Okay, that's good. But um, if you see somebody else open and keep, still keep the ball, I would be so afraid that they that that would happen to me. Um, the coaches like taught me that okay, sometimes you know your shot is still better, your bat shot is still better than somebody else who's not a shooter or something. Um, so I'm just really lucky that coaches, the coaches that I had, kept pushing me. Otherwise, I would not be here, like where I am right now. I'm I'm lucky that Paul and Natalia pushed me because otherwise I wouldn't say anything on this podcast. <laughs> Emma, um, one thing I one thing I did want to flag up um, that we haven't really spoke about or I, I haven't spoke to you about it was when you decided to skip um, the season with uh, with the Mystics to focus on Belgium for the World Cup, and obviously you did that. And I know in some quarters in on Twitter. Um, you know, some people were a little bit critical, maybe didn't understand the logic, the concept. And obviously since then, you've delivered the following year by landing the title. But just tell us about the kind of process of that decision, because that must have been quite difficult to kind of miss out on an entire WNBA season for the sake of the national team. I don't think it was only for the sake of the national team. Like people think that uh, I was forced by the national team or something, or that they made me make the decision, but it was totally me uh, who made that decision. Because the season before I could feel at the end in the semifinals against Minnesota, I was tired. And uh, I think at that time I needed, I was thinking already about it. Because we already knew we were going to the world championship and stuff like that. Um, so, I just think I needed to be home a little bit and not even home, just away from basketball and be with my family and friends because you miss a lot of time when you're playing professional. Like you miss a lot of uh, your best friend's life uh, and your family's life. And whenever I come back home, like for me, it's like I just move on and I pick everything up where like I left it. But a lot of things change for the other people. And I think that's point where it was a little bit hard for me um, to miss everything and so for me I think in, in my in my head um, the decision was made a couple of weeks after that the hardest thing was just to say it out loud and yeah. I was afraid to like disappoint people and because I love my coach in, in WMA like coach C he's, he's like family for me um, and it was just hard to like say it out loud to him because uh, I was afraid that he's going to be angry or, you know, really disappointed in me. Um, but that was a choice I made for me. And um, even if I know now that they made it to the finals, like I would still make that decision because I was not going to be the player um, then like I was last season. I was going to be tired. I was going to be not homesick, but, you know, it's like a routine every single time. Um, so... I think that was the best decision uh, that was possible. And people think I was jealous or uh, like hoping that they will lose in the finals because I was not there. No, I was just rooting for them like any other fan. Um, and I was hoping they were going to win it. That, that meant that I was going to be back in the championship team. Yes. Um, so nothing bad about that. Um, so no, it, that was, there's not really protest, but I, think I was just tired. Mm -hmm. And people just sometimes have to step away from something um, in order to be better at it next time. 
question yeah. question on that because we're we're now in sort of a, a shutdown globally with this pandemic going on and uh, as you said, you know, if you had been playing basketball, it's sort of like pack your bags off to the next season. Now being at home and being able to spend time with your family, watching things like the last dance, you probably wouldn't have been able to do that. Uh, you know, had the WNBA season started on time, has it given you a new perspective on things off the court? It's like normal life for me now. You know, I'm doing stuff at home, cooking for the family, um, painting walls, doing all the kind of stuff that needs to be done in the house. And it's good to have like, the normal, it's not still not normal, it's, it's as normal as, as it gets for us. Um, so I'm not bored at all. I'm still happy uh, in the evening when I'm sitting down finally in front of TV because I've been outside the whole time and doing stuff the whole time. And I barely even touch a basketball. You know, I'm doing some workouts, um, but not pure basketball. Mm-hmm. I do have to say I've uh, tried running a lot because uh, I have to. But that's something I will never like because <laughs> it's terrible. Um, but you know, <laughs> practicing your Russian because I know you speak Dutch, French, English, and you saying that you oh, were yeah. were trying to speak fluently Russian now. Are you practicing? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but uh, yes. Was it yesterday? Yesterday I did a quiz with my Russian teammates and you know I still know all the words and stuff like that and I follow some Russian pages so every time I see something Russian I read it and I'm not forgetting it you know so that's good because I'm still texting my teammates and um, most of it is in short Russian words <laughs> yeah but I'm back next year so I'm not gonna forget it Okay. I was curious because I saw on your Instagram that you, I think it was you, yes, you went to the U.S. Open. Did you play tennis? I did. As a kid, I played uh, one or two years in a team. And before that, um, me and my brother always went to tennis camps during the summer, starting from age seven-ish till, I don't know, when, for a couple of years. Like every summer, we went there for two weeks. Um, my dad played tennis too. So every now and then I just go with my friends and play some tennis. Um, really nice. So it was good for me to see it, yeah. Yeah, and now- I think it's important for kids to try as much as, much as possible. Because you do have the prototype of the tennis player, the tall- I do. Yes, you do. <laughs> so that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I liked it, I liked it. Cool. Yeah. Just one thing I wanted to ask, um, Emma, have you ever thought about going to uh, China to play because when you list all of the top players in the world, obviously one common thing is that they obviously play for the likes of ECAT, play in the WNBA, but a lot of them have obviously played in China. Was that something that was ever on the table? Was that something that you ever consider? Um, I actually do. Because um, maybe not only for the basketball, but just um, the most important thing for me in my career is that I learned to know the other cultures, you know, um, and since I had the, the training camp with the national team in China, I stayed there for a week longer. So they left and I stayed with some teammates. Um, and I really think that's an interesting culture. So I don't want to go there really as a tourist because that's not how you get to know a country. Um, but as a player, you really have to live in there uh, and adapt to the people because you go to another country. So you have to be the one to adapt. Um, so I think it's 
it would be really, really interesting um, to see how I go from Russia to China as a Belgian pe person. So I still think about it, you know, and I hope that I'll be able to go there in my career because I've been thinking about, about it for a couple of years too. In Europe, I've pretty much been everywhere. <laughs> Uh, I've been in America, so that's the biggest competition you can have, I think. Um, so it's really like for the country and culture, Asia, yeah. You're gonna get a chance to to kind of compete there next summer uh, with the Olympics. It was supposed to be a couple months away, but that's moved, and now it's now it's next summer for the first time ever. Country's gonna be there. Uh, I know you got asked a million times how it feels to have your country be there in Belgium, so I won't ask you that and just ask you about just just representing the national team uh at the highest uh tournament that we have and and potentially we talked about it on this podcast probably the the deepest competition pool that you know anyone could imagine with uh you know handful of teams good enough to win a, a medal there you know also for belgium we're the only women team like um that's going so it's extra special for us because i think that we're the second uh women's team that in history to go to the Olympics. So we're still writing history and people like are really rooting for us. So it's even like giving uh, more support to us and it makes the, the feeling of honor even greater. So um, I think once we step on that plane, um, we're gonna feel so proud. I think that's the first and the biggest feeling we're gonna feel when we're there. Because you're part of history, you know, um, and over the years, for the Belgian cast, the fan base has grown so much. Uh, as you probably could see in Ostend, like it was crazy. And still like people um, like follow us and, and they write us and um, they miss us on the court right now. Um, you know, because a lot of people were already buying tickets for um, uh, like practice games, friendly games. Um, we even have a fan day. We never really had a fan day before, but people were looking forward to that. And, you know, um, that's a, a thing why it's sad for the people, but I know that next year is going to be the same and um, just a little more patience, you know. <laughs> it's going to happen anyway. You have, I, I, was lo I was looking here, you are number 33 in Washington, but you use number 11 in your national team. So what is your original number? 11, you know, you the number that's your number anything anything special why your mother used to use that number yes she used to play with 11 so um as soon as i started playing basketball she was like once uh play with number 11 play take number 11 take number 11 and uh i used to play with a boy team first and somebody else had 11 and i think i was playing with nine and you know the mom starts and you just switch so that's not a problem and starting from then i always played with 11 um and then when I came to Washington, um, you had to choose a number, but 11 was picked by somebody else who then did not make the team, but okay. <laughs> um, so for me, it was such a big like dilemma. What, what number I was going to take? Because I've never, I don't have any connection to another number because uh, I never played with one. Mm -hmm. So how we got, like, I was talking to my mom, my brother, my dad, like, what number am I going to take? I we debated about it a lot, and I was just saying like something, something like. Emma, the, the girls in your house beat the boys. Your mom and you beat your father and your brother, because <laughs> they're tennis players. 
But actually, like, it's me and my brother against my parents. That's the teams. <laughs> yeah, that's the teams. Kids against their parents. We always win, too. <laughs> but so 33 came because I wanted an American number. Because at that time, it was not possible to have, like, that big numbers in Europe, I think. Um, it was, like, until 15, and that's it. So I picked 33 because it's something like 11. And then after one or two years, it turns out that was the best choice because my mom's favorite players are Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Larry Bird, um, and they are both number 33s, and we did not know. Nice. So it's, it was meant to be. Yeah. I, I asked this, I think, on a previous podcast. I'm always intrigued when players have success. At which point on an ordinary night do you kind of – does it sink in? So I think we asked Jennifer O'Neill when she qualified for the Olympics, when did you think, hey, I'm going to Tokyo? You've obviously won the finals, won EuroLeague women, booked the tickets to Tokyo, had lots of great moments. When for you personally, does it usually sink in? Is it in the locker room? Is it in on the coach traveling back to the hotel? Or is it when you turn the light off to go to sleep? Or is it the next morning when you kind of get up? When do all these great moments kind of like, manifest themselves i don't know because it's always like the day after it's on to the next you know <laughs> yeah. um, so everything with the national team you have some more time to enjoy it because uh, you have to go back to the country and then see all the people and there's a lot of media um but in russia i just go home pack my bag from america and i'll leave again um mm -hmm. in america it's the same but i'll leave back to russia or national team um, so i think like the, the Mystic title, it's a couple of months after, I think. Not even. Like, wow. um, everything goes so fast. You know, um, it's like yesterday that I was going to France for the first time, um, crying because I did not want to leave home. And even if it's only 30 minutes from home, it started from then, everything was so fast. And here I am, 27. I, I'm champion from Russia, um, America, national team is going great. And that's the moment that when there's a quiet moment, that's the thing that we say at home. Not that, oh, now you're champion. But we're saying like, so fast, mm -hmm. so fast. You yeah. know, that's the thing that's most special. You try to win one thing of those things that accomplished, but now it's so much and so fast. <laughs> It's still crazy. Like we can't get over it. That we were still debating about uh, when I was nineteen. Like, should you go to France? Like, should you not just focus on school first? Mm -hmm. And you know, it was the right decision. I think. Yeah. There's, there's no way I can I can get out of here without asking one last question. Uh, Ann Waters is going to be a part was a part of you guys making uh, the Olympic team, uh, the Olympic Games, uh, something that she wanted to do in her career before she called it quits. Um, what was that like to be able to be a part of a team that able to help their help her get to the next level? Um, well, of course, we're all happy to go because it's for, the first time for everybody. But for her, it's a little extra special because, you know, I think when you know you want to enter your career and there's only one thing, one thing in the whole world that's missing from your um, resume list, yeah, bucket list, and then you're able to do it, 
I think that's an amazing, like, yeah. amazing, amazing way to end. Um, well, now it does not help with this whole lockdown stuff, but still we qualified. And I'm really hoping that she'll be able to hang in there for one more year and then just be there and enjoy it. Yeah. I think knowing that that is your last time on the court and you decide when you stop, there's no better better way to end your career, especially after the career that she had. So I'm extremely proud to share that, to be able to um, share that moment with her in the future. I think it's gonna be very special. Well, all three of us here, I, I can speak for us saying that uh, it was a privilege and an honor to kind of share that moment with you guys as a team at home, being able to punch your ticket to head the Olympic Games. We look forward to seeing you back on the basketball court soon. Uh, enjoy the last two episodes of The Last Dance, and we really appreciate you. you spending some time with us today. Thanks, You're very Emma. welcome. Emma, you are the GOAT. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Special thanks to Emma Messiman who came on and uh, spent time with us. As I said, I mean, incredible resume already. She's only 27 years old. I thought, Paul, for sure you were going to bring up the fact that I only called her a top five player in the world, not a top three. <laughs> She's a top player. That's. I mean, I don't <laughs> think anybody can argue, um, you know, that, that she's not a great player and you know, I, I don't know her hugely well, but kind of um, at the start of her career, it was my first FIBA tournament under 16. So I think when you get into the game and you start working in the game, um, obviously there's that extra dimension from when you're a fan. Um, you still retain that status as a, of a fan, um, as, as I do. But I've kind of almost grown up within FIBA circles from the start of when Emma came onto the scene. So it's been nice seeing um, the kind of traje trajectory that she's been on. Um, but actually, I thought the most interesting things um, about her were the fact that she talked about still going to China still going to Asia, you know, whether that's Japan, Korea, there's all there's all future possibilities. And I think it says a lot for her with everything that's going on in the world with COVID nineteen, some of the political issues, that she still kind of has that as a possibility in her career. Um, and I think she's one of these people who I think away from the court clearly holds family. I mean, we all love our families, but I also thought the second thing was talking about the year that she skipped which I think she was very um, obviously reluctant to get into that too much. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting that you, you kind of had a glimpse into what matters to her most. Um, you know, she said she always wants to win, but I thought it was quite touching the way she talked about, you know, being in lockdown now, what it was, what she needed was some rest um, when she skipped that season. And obviously it's not all about just staying with Cat and, you know, the WNBA, which has got broader horizons. I, I thought that was really interesting. You know what, what was really impressive to me? When you think of Emma Messerman, you think of basketball. And, and you think that somebody that have all the goals that she achieved and, and, you know, all the wings, winnings that she have, it will be everything basketball for her. But she's, she's more than basketball. She, she was saying how she's enjoying her time at home how she have to make a decision and saying, I'm staying home because I don't feel strong enough. I need to rest and basketball needs to take a step aside. I'm not going to go and play in the WNBA. And she also, when I asked her about the pressure, 
she said, after all, it's just basketball. Just, she sees life in a very different way than most of the basketball stars do. Everything basketball, basketball, basketball. She had more than basketball in her mind. And I think that was very interesting. I find that I found that interesting as well. But what what the added mix, and I think that's what makes what makes her very special as a player, is that yes, you know, other things are important other than basketball. But when she steps on the court, yeah. <laughs> she's a killer. She's trying to get the win. She's trying to add championships, as she said. You know, when he talked about what what it was like for her to to win a championship, and what she was thinking about, she was already on to the next championship like she she she's interested in kind of building uh you know going out and, and winning games it's not just about going out and uh participating it's it's team for her it's winning a championship and doing it at all costs and uh you know her, when she was talking about Dennis Rodman and and how she appreciated how he played the game uh you know doing things that not many would want to do and how important that is and you know many stars would would kind of look at this documentary and try to relate to Michael Jordan but to to find a way to you know, find some, a gem in Dennis Rodman or, or you know, uh, some sort of connection to Dennis Rodman, the fact that you have to sacrifice. And she does that at the WNBA level. I mean, we're talking about top five player that's coming off a bench, you know, and, and without an issue. Um, it's, it's, it's great to see. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think the other thing is that um, the, one of the things I always think about when I look at the top teams um, is just who's got a special player. And obviously most of the top teams have some really outstanding players. But with Emma, you feeling, you know, yes, everybody knows I'm a huge fan, but she is a special player. Um, on the flip side, what does concern me a little bit is when you look at all of those top nations, which teams rely on one player the most? So, you know, I feel as though Canada have more probably capable players at a slightly higher level overall. Um, same with Spain, same with, you know, uh, nations like this. You know, Belgium do have a lot of eggs in the Messamin basket. So, you know, foul trouble, a very rare shooting night off, God forbid, you know, any kind of niggle or injury which sees a court time curtailed. So it'll be interesting. And it goes back to the point that I know Tom Hovas on the last um, on the last podcast said he'd listened in Italia, seeing whoever's healthy in Tokyo um, is going to have the best chance. And, you know, if I'm a Belgian fan, as long as Emma's on the floor, then, you know, the sky's the limit for them. But that's the point. It's a double-edged sword, as I often talk about. Will she be on the floor? Will she be able to cope with that pressure? And, uh, you know, it's going to be really, really interesting. I can't wait for next year. I wish it was in July. I want to know something that's a little bit scary to me as I, as I look forward and think about the Olympic Games is, you know, we're in this pause where basketball's not happening. Uh, and who knows if, you know, the EuroLeague women or any other leagues that are set to start kind of in, in the American fall and, and sort of that, uh, you know, October on, who knows if they start on time. Maybe they get sort of pushed back and you're playing a lot of games in a short period of time. Then you move on to your next season, which, you know, if you're in the WNBA, that's that. And then you're right into the Olympic Games. Like your body's not going to have that time to rest. And yeah. that's unfortunately when injuries happen happen the most. And and that's, I mean, I, I don't want to put a downer on us, but it's something that we have to think about. And, you know, a lot of the top players are going to have to think about. And um, I don't know, I don't know what the solution is, but it is something that, you know, probably wouldn't have really occurred 
to this level had uh, you know had this pandemic not happened? There, there's something called um, a basketball shape. You know, you can be in physical shape. You can be 100% in shape. You can be running. You can be lifting weights and everything. But if you are not basketball, you know, in shape, like playing, you can, you know, you can get hurt. Having so many tournaments, you know, in a row after having all these costs, it's kind of dangerous too. Mm-hmm. Very dangerous. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, guys, and we've not even touched on it at all throughout the first five as this was six podcast i think is um and it's it's linked to tokyo um and that's the three on three um making its debut and i have to say you know i've watched quite a bit of three on three but i'm certainly no authority on it so i think that's something in future podcasts we probably need to start talking about and the build of the tokyo the impact it's going to have on the game more generally rather than just getting into the specifics um, of three on three, and I, I've never really act, actually asked you guys, even though we talk a lot of women's hoops, what your kind of thoughts are on on three on three in general, and uh, and obviously you know about the impact that it could have. And we're probably going to have to try and get somebody on here who's uh, a lot more expert than than us three on, on three three v three. Yeah, I mean, it's for for first of all, it's basketball. So at the end of the day, I'm going to love watching it. Um, but what I do know, and the very little bit that I do know about three on three is you're either a, you know, a, a five on five player or a three on three player. At some point you got to make the decision, you know, they don't, you know, the three on three players, uh, have, I don't want to say a different skill set, but it's sort of like a different mindset going into that. Uh, you know, it's not a completely different game. You're still putting the ball in the hoop, but there are, you know, some differences between the two. And I think that's going to be the biggest education part of it. For, for people that are going to be seeing it for the first time on the grand stage of the Olympic Games is that, uh, you know, it, you know th- these women and, and ultimately men that are going to be participating in this, uh, in this new sort of gameplay or it, it's, it's not five on five and, it's, and there could be a great three on three player that really can't make it in the five on five game and vice versa. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a, an opportunity to make new stars um, and it'll be an opportunity to kind of have more females play the game at a high level and, and be able to, to represent their country at the Olympic Games. So it's a thumbs up for me, but I have a long way to go in terms of learning it. So, yeah, it'll be interesting, but I think post-Tokyo, um, it, it's definitely going to have to rise further up the agenda. So I think we'll get to that in future pods and, uh, and, and try and get somebody on and, like I said, to try and uh, open a few doors and find out what's going on. Is there a, is there a, let's, let's do this uh, kind of uh, show what we do behind closed doors for a second while we have the time. Is there a topic that you guys want to touch on that we haven't done yet? <laughs> I, um, so 3v3 was, was, was one of them. Uh, the other topic is, because, um, you know, for example, as you guys know, I'm so Canadian centric, bringing, bringing countries that don't have a pro league uh into the mix um on the female side and i know obviously it's a money driven thing but what that what that would look like for some of the players that are from that country that have to travel so far to play in australia to play in europe to play in china where you know the money is being made um you know if everything if all things were equal what that would mean for them to play at home i would love to to pick the brains for a lot of them that uh you know don't have the option i know you know in puerto rico for example there's a league there, but all things aren't equal and they're, they're not making a ton of money. But 
how much that would change, uh, you know, for, for national team members, for others that maybe, uh, you know, that live close by, like in Dominican Republic, that would, you know, could come over and play at a, at a high level in, uh, in the Caribbean. So um, that's something I would love to pick the brains about of players. These two girls, I have to look for the names, but there's, there are two girls that are from Dominican Republic. They were raised in the States. They are supposed to go to NCAA's uh, high, you know, really, really good schools. And I think they wanted to play uh, for the national team. I think one of the other things that I'm quite interested in, because, again, I think it's one of those things that there's no right or wrong answers, is for young players and the decisions that they have to make, whether they try and go pro, whether they try and go to the States to go to college. You know, it's a, it's a kind of an old chestnut that comes up every year with the new recruiting class. Um, and some of the things that, you know, parents are told by various people, is it the player that makes the decision? Is it the, the, the young person themselves? Or is it the parents? Is it a combination? Who do they listen to? Um, who are the external forces trying to decide? Um, and yeah, just quite an interesting kind of thing because um, I think there's a lot of young players get lost in that whole process. And some of the advice that I've heard given is horrendous and it's, it varies so much country to country. Um, so I think that's something is hopefully as our pod develops, we can kind of, you know, even if it's just for a short period, if there's any young people listening, maybe just give some general point us to help um, because I think there's a lot of teenagers out there who really really struggle generally because they're teenagers um, without all of those extra extra pressures of you know where they're going to write this new chapter yeah it's not just the teenagers that struggle it's the parents <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, trying yeah. to help them make the decision with without having yeah. the tools to uh, to do that is a, is a tough decision I, we've seen it uh, you know when I was coming up in Canada you saw it a lot of the times with you know kids that were getting bad advice from you know coaches or whatever and they would go to an ncaa and sit on the bench for four years and not develop at all and come back home and you know miss out on opportunities to actually develop where if they had stayed at home and played in the university level there maybe they're pros now you know so you always get the uh the double edge the double edged swords great opportunity free education it's hard to pass up on but it's not always all it's cut out to be for, you know, for a lot of kids. Yeah. It's, it's really on a case by case basis. And if we can provide them the information or at least show them where to get it, I, I would love that. That's a, that's a good idea. One thing, one thing I want to know, and I, this is if Emma does listen back to the podcast, this is when she needs to switch off because I'm gonna, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm going to ask you? We've never really talked ourselves only with guests amongst uh, about the last dance. Just right. before we go and before we wrap it up, um, I think a similar question to what you asked uh, Emma, you know, what, what did you learn? Who was your favourite kind of player? What, you know, what surprised you? So go on, Colin, you're always asking the questions. Zanka, oh, you boy. go first on this one. Come on. It's not going to be a popular decision uh, uh, thing for me to say, but I uh, completely look at uh, Scottie Pippen's career a little bit differently than I did going into it. Uh, from the standpoint of going into it, I truly believe that he was one of the most underrated players uh, in all NBA history. Now, the doc itself didn't just change my opinion on it. It's going back and, you know, having the time that we, we do now. And as you guys know, I you know, cover the NBA for NBA.com internationally. We did a lot of uh, content on The Last Dance. So going back, looking at some of his numbers, looking at some of his moments in his career – 
I can honestly say he's still the best sidekick of all time. But there was a part of me that thought that, you know, had he not been in Michael's shadow, he could have been his own, uh, you know, superstar, or his own champion. I truly can sit here and believe and say right now that I believe in my heart of hearts, there was no way that he would have led a team to a championship. He just did not have that next level leadership that he would have had uh, or he needed to have with, uh, with, with leading a team to the promised land. It's not, everyone's not cut out for it. Some people are just better psychics than they are, you know, go-to players. And that's the way, uh, you know, it's not a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying that my opinion in terms of if he had his own team, I don't think that they would, he wins a single ring. Uh, whereas, you know, standing next to Michael, he's elevated more because he was a psychic. Natalia? I agree. I, I agree. I love Scotty Pippen. Nothing changed, you know, the way I see him. I, we always said, the world always said, he, he's the best Robin ever in the, in the basketball game. Things that he does in the court and how he paired with Michael Jordan was amazing. But as, as Carlin says, I don't think he has the, he have the personality to, to be the main guy uh, on an NBA team. But I do love Scotty Pippen. And I, and I also think that the Bulls would win as many championships as they did without Scotty Pippen. Yeah. For, for, for me, the most interesting aspect of the documentary, and I'm probably in a minority of one, uh, was Jerry Krause. For, for, for me, somebody who was quite divisive, obviously wasn't well-liked, I thought the lack of respect um, was a bit worrying. That was the only thing that kind of sat a little bit uncomfortably with me. At the end of the day, he, he people can say, oh, yeah, it's because they had Jordan, but yes, of course it was. But, you know, having to get the players to put, the, to put around them, um, the role of a general manager is not easy. Um, you know, you can be fired by the owners, but as far as I'm concerned, he was the GM of all of all of those NBA titles, kind of unprecedented. Um, and I just, I don't know, there was times when I was a little uncomfortable with the way he was treated. And I'm sure people will say he treated others may, maybe like that, I don't know. But it was just fascinating. So from a behind-the-scenes point of view, I just thought that was really, really interesting. And probably he didn't get the credit that he kind of deserved yeah he, if you only knew um or if you only knew about jerry Krause through that documentary i don't think they did him any justice at all i mean we're talking about a hall of famer and he's he's a guy that just was a gm <laughs> he didn't he didn't dribble basketball or anything like that and they say players win but someone had to go and find those guys to 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 make a winning team so you're uh you're absolutely right about uh about jerry Krause. i will say uh one thing quickly before we get out of here phil jackson to me, solidified himself as the greatest coach of all time. He said what? He said what? Greatest coach of all time. Solidified himself for me. Well, yeah. I think he's good. I just don't like the part that he said that in Puerto Rico. We don't <laughs> Can you tell? Hold on. We talked about it off there. I don't think we talked about it on the air. Can you tell us? I'm the GM. Can you tell us the, uh, the true story? Because, you know, everything is entertainment. But for, for people that are listening, tell us the true story of what actually happened in Puerto Rico. Well, he wasn't here when that happened. That's something, because he was playing the Knicks by that time. That's something that he was told that happened. And he had, you know, it's half true and, and half is not true, you know. Americans, you know, it's the Caribbean. We were hot-blooded. And, and there were some decisions in the court that somebody didn't like. And the major of the guest team was there. 
there was a fight all over and he had a gun and he threw <laughs> a bullet on the ceiling, but the bullet hit uh, one of the guys that was working. He didn't die or anything, but that happened, that happened. But uh, Phil Jackson said that he shot the referee. It was not the referee. He also said that um, in Isabela, which is a, a country, you know, it's the countryside of the island, in the coast, um, before the games, uh, the game, the name of the team is, is the Roosters. So he said that uh, there was a witch that used to kill a rooster and throw the blood in, in, you know, in the team's bench. That was true. You have to remember, it's the Caribbean. There's a lot of Santeria here. That's <laughs> a religion. It doesn't happen anymore. You know, it, at the gym, still happens in some places. In IP, in Cuba, in Dominican Republic, because it's, it's part of the religion in the Caribbean. But that happened. That, that, that happened. That was true. That was true. I'll tell you why, he's a great, I'll tell you why for me, he's huh? a great I'll tell you why. For me, he's a great coach. The moment, the moment when he kicked Jordan out of the practice for what he did to Steve Kerr. There's, there's not many, there's not many coaches would have, you know, possibly done that at that time to, 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 to MJ. But obviously, I think that was the whole beauty of, um, of Jackson. He just kept. We said this before. He just kept a lid on things. But at those crucial moments. When he had to do, when he had to act, and he had to do something, whether it was showing trust in Pippin to play with a bad back, whether it was saying to Jordan, "You're out of order for you know what you've done to Steve Kerr in practice." Um, it was all those little moments. He's just, just he was the star of the show for me. Yeah, really, really uh, great coach, bad GM, but uh, but 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 a great head coach. <laughs> I think uh, he handles um, Rodman. You know, you can go against the flow. I just have to, you know, that he, he needs to go to Vegas for 48 hours that I got to let him go. Yeah. He's going to come back and he's going to do the job. So with the, with the coronavirus, we all need to go to Vegas for 48 hours now. So yes. Yeah, we, we yes. definitely do. And, and it would help. It would help a little bit if we all want some money while we were there instead of lost it all. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, always good talking to you guys. Always good, and first for the first time in a long time, just get to see your face. So this is pretty cool. Uh, keep it locked right here on the podcast. If you haven't, if you haven't already, please rate and subscribe. It helps us out a ton. It's free for you to do, so why not just uh, just give it a shot and uh, and help us out a little bit here. And please, please spread the word. Um, you know, word of mouth is the biggest way that we can grow right here on the Women's Basketball Worldwide Podcast. There you go, Paul. I got the right name in uh, this time. For Paul Nielsen, Natalia Melendez, I am Carlin Gay. We will see you in a couple of weeks right here on the Women's Basketball Worldwide Podcast.